in the house of the Lord tonight and for your faithfulness to God's house. Amen. I'm glad that I have a desire to be in church. Amen. I'm thankful that I have a desire, even when I'm not feeling well, I come anyway. Praise God. I said, even when I'm not feeling well, I come anyway. You know what? Somebody said, well, you feel bad, you ought to stay home. That's exactly what my body and the devil would like for me to do. But you know what? Sometimes you just have to talk to yourself and say, you know what? I'm going anyway. And I'm glad you came tonight. Amen. What a wonderful day this has been. Sun shining, beautiful birds singing. Somewhere in the world it's been like that. May not be here, but somewhere it is. I know the sun's shining. Amen. And it may not be shining where I'm at right now, but it's shining. And I know that it came up this morning. Amen. And I know God's had his hand on all of that. And so I found out in life, a whole lot of life has to do with how I take it. More than that, how I look at it. And so I'm thankful for God's blessings today. Amen. Everybody said amen. Wednesday night, it's time to get your Bible out. And let's take another look in the book. Never cease to be amazed at how often you can read the Word of God and yet find something fresh and new in it every time you read it. What has amazed me recently has been the number of small uh, words that have leapt out of the pages of Scripture and seized my attention. Little words like in and by. Uh, those words that you quickly move over, but they have such a great impact upon the meaning of Scripture and the meaning of promises and what God's trying to say to us. And uh, I, I have been energized by the Word of God uh, over and over and over again. And there are certain portions of Scripture that I love to read more often than others. I don't like to go to the Chronicles and read about all the genealogies because I have a hard time with English, much less with some of the names that were given back then, God forbid that we would have to rename our kids some of those things, but uh, anyway, I'm glad that Sam and Susie and Mark and Joe will work, <laughs> but there are certain portions of Scripture that I just go back to over and over and over again, and one of those is the 12th chapter of the book of Romans. Romans, by, by most standards, is probably one of the deepest theological books of the whole New Testament. Paul, in his writing to the Roman believer, goes deeper, and he talks about greater spiritual themes in the book of Romans than any other New Testament book. And it is interesting that for 11 chapters... Paul lays out the argument and the defense of the gospel of Jesus Christ. What all happened, the sacrifice, the, 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 the price that was paid, 
the sin that had to be dealt with, all of those things he deals with in the first 11 chapters, everything that was against man, the, the fight of our flesh. And then after having said all of those things, he comes to chapter 12, and there is a transition. And it seems to me that chapter 12 is the watershed of the book of Romans. And from this point on to the end of the chapter, Paul takes every principle that he has spoken about in the first 11 chapters and he puts it into flesh and blood. He puts it into things that you and I must flesh out in our life in order to enjoy the redeemed life. And so he begins chapter 12 by saying, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable in the God, which is your reasonable service. Now, in my way of thinking, what he has done here is he has used this point as a fulcrum. And he said, okay, in light of what I have just told you about redemption and the cost of redemption and the fact that God did all of these things, now with that in mind, knowing the price that he paid for us, this is what I'm here to tell you, that you and I should present our bodies as a living sacrifice because that is our reasonable service. In essence, what he is saying is, if God would do all of that for you, in 11 chapters he tells what all God did. If God would do all of that for you, he didn't ask you to help him. He didn't ask you to do anything to merit. He just did it out of his love and mercy. If God would do all of that, then the least that you can do is to live your life the very best you can for him. And so from that point on, he begins to show us how we can live this wonderful life this overcoming life and in chapter 12 and verse number 12 right in the middle and Paul does this really often in writing Paul throws in something added he, he throws in something extra he, he, he writes here in in the 12th chapter about the service of, of love that we should offer to the Lord and he lays down a standard of, of living. He said, let love be without dissimulation and abhor that which is evil. Verse 9, and cleave to that which is good and be kindly affection. This is how we flesh out all that God has done for us. Uh, in honor preferring one another, not slothful in business, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. And then verse 12 he just throws in this triplicate of, uh, of blessings or uh, this triplicate of mercies right into the mix of everything. And it's as if Paul, he's going through the thought processes of what he can say to help encourage people to live. And then he said, oh, by the way, this right here is the secret to it all. This is the secret to it all. And so I'm going to read verse 12, and you're hearing, and, and you can read it with me if you will. Paul said simply in verse 12, Rejoicing in hope, 
patient in tribulation, continuing instant in prayer. And then he goes back to the fleshing out of this thing called Christianity, distributing to the necessity of the saints and all of those things. But in the middle of that, he injects this this, uh, triplicate of, of mercies and blessings and grace that can transform a person's life. And when I got to looking at that, I thought, you know what? That's a tonic right there. Anybody know what a tonic is? Anybody know what a tonic is? I don't mean a libation. I mean a tonic in its literal sense. A tonic is something that lifts the spirit. A tonic is something, it it is a medicine that produces a sense of well-being. It is a lifting of the spirit. It is a boosting of the energy. Words that are associated with tonic are boost or stimulant or pick-me-up or energizer or refresher or alivener. So when you talk about a tonic for life, You're talking about something that when you're in the midst of trouble can boost your spiritual energy, something that can refresh your mind and your spirit, something that can make you feel good, something that can make you feel well when you're not feeling too good spiritually. And so with that in mind, I want to talk to you for just a few moments tonight about how to live when life It's difficult. And everybody said amen. How to live when life is difficult. What you and I have to constantly remind ourselves is that Paul did not write the book of Romans in a vacuum. He was not on the Isle of the Bahamas sipping a Kool-Aid, sitting underneath a nice cabana, relaxing and chilling. That's not where he wrote the book of Romans from. Nor did he write the book of Ephesians or Galatians or Philippians or Thessalonians or Timothy or Philip uh, or Philippians or Philemon or Hebrews. None of the books that Paul wrote to us were written in a spiritual vacuum that was void of pressure and problems and pain and suffering and hurt or misunderstanding. Everything that he wrote to us came out of the furnace of affliction. There is nothing in his life that indicates to us that he wrote these things when everything was going the way he wanted it to. Most of us don't learn lessons when things are going the way we want them to. The most often that we learn is when things are not going the way we want them to. And when we're having a difficult time in life that we begin to realize that maybe God is trying to speak to us or talk to us and so... We open the windows of our soul and we begin to learn. There is nothing in this life that will 
encourage you and I to live right. There is nothing in this life that we are living right now that will encourage you to do right or to be what is right. Paul's optimism here or his attitude was not the product of the absence of trouble, but it was in the midst of trouble. Amen. And in the midst of trouble and in the midst of adversity and in the midst of heartache and pain and suffering, Paul wrote, rejoicing in hope. Amen. Rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation and continuing instant in prayer. Amen. You see, Paul was not so interested in creating a season of life that he could live in that was conducive to his wants or wishes like a lot of people. We, you know, I've heard a lot over the last few years about uh, this is your season. This is your season. And by that, we, we seem to implicate or we in, infer that This is your time. Because when we think about your season, we're thinking about summer, harvest, fruit, multiplication. Folks, that's only one one season. In our world, we know there are four seasons. But in life, there could be four or many other seasons that we go through. So... We, we, when we talk about this is your season, we are inferring that they're about to come into a time of great blessing and prosperity and advantage and your enemy's going to be under your feet and everything's going to go your way and the bank's going to loan you the money and you're always going to be able to pay all your bills and everything's going to be hunky-dory and everything you order at the restaurant comes out exactly like you ordered it. Your neighbor treats you nice and dogs don't tear up your garbage and all of that. That's, that's what we talk about when we talk about your season. What I find about Paul is he wasn't so worried about the season as he was concerned about the attitude of the spirit in which he could live that season. Because we don't get to choose the season. But we do get to choose the attitude. And so rather than Paul trying to create this spiritual environment where everything's perfect, paradise, where the sun always shines and the water's always blue, the children are always good, the men are always good looking and all that, you know, like late woebegone. Instead of Paul worrying about that aspect of life, He was more concerned about an attitude in which he could live life that when he captured that attitude and when he embraced that spirit, it would help him no matter the season, whether he was in a prison or whether he was not in a prison, whether things were going good or they were not going good. Paul embraced an attitude because he knew that life, at best, is difficult. Life is not easy, and life, as you well know, can get you down. It can deal you misery and heartbreak and pain and suffering. 
But you cannot, Paul reiterates to us in this passage, you cannot let life steal your joy and you cannot let life take away your peace and you cannot allow life to strip you of your power. And so he says in this particular passage, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing instant in prayer. Don't let life make you grow cold and mean and hateful and sour because life can do that to you. People can do that to you. But Paul said there, there's a way to live. There, there, there's a way to face life in which no matter what happens, you will remain on top of it all. You will remain above it all. You can be in a prison but still be free. You can be in hurtful situations and still survive. You can make it through all this. And so in Romans 12, Paul gives an outline of the Christian life and the deeper spiritual life and the duties and the conduct and the creed. But here in verse 12, he puts together the inner secrets of the Christian's life. And really, it's a tonic for life. It's how you can live that will keep life from pushing you around. It will keep you from being shoved from pillar to post. And there are three considerations that are worth your attention for just a few moments tonight. And I begin by saying again, Paul's first admonition was that we would be rejoicing in hope. Everybody say rejoice in hope. One translator said it like this. Let your hope keep you joyful. Let your hope keep you joyful. Rejoice simply means in our modern tongue to be glad. Now I'm not a brilliant person, but I did go to school and I do remember English class and I remember something about something they call be verbs. Anybody remember that lesson? Did y'all sleep through that class? Be verbs. Am, is, was, were, be, being, been. Does that bring back any record? Anybody remember? You know what all of those words indicate? They indicate a position. They indicate a state of something. And so when, when, when Paul tells me to rejoice or be glad, what he is actually indicating that it's not a matter of circumstances as some of us think or it's not a matter of temperament. Well, Brother Hughes, you're just so up all the time and everybody, you know, everybody else isn't made like that. Everybody isn't wired like you are. They can look at bad things and just smile. You know, I have a different temperament, Brother Hughes, and I just don't deal with things like that. Paul didn't say have anything to say about your temperament. What he had to talk about was what you were capable of becoming 
And all of us can be glad. Now, be is a choice that I make. You choose the joy. You choose what you think about. You choose what your thoughts are on. And when you choose what you think about and what you allow your eyes to see, then your feelings will begin to follow your seeing. And somebody said amen. Somebody say, oh me. Oh me. Are you talking to me, Brother Hughes? Yes, I'm talking to you. Rejoice. Rejoicing in hope. Hope is one of the strongest and most operative forces in nature. One writer said it is the instinct of the soul. By definition, hope is simple, confident desire. Such words as expectation, anticipation, courage are associated with it. But hope is far more than wishful thinking, and it is not just waiting for something to turn up. It's not an idle longing or wishing for something. When hope is present in your life in the scriptural connotation, it will lift your life. As a matter of fact, hope is like music to the soul, and it gives music to the soul. And it makes life easier. And there is nothing in the world that has a greater sustaining influence in life than hope. I think I've told you this, but you probably need to hear it again. But when they were, when they were going through all of the rubble of 9-11, they used search and rescue dogs to help them find Bodies or or people that might still be alive under the debris. What they noticed, though, was that after a long period of searching and not finding, that these brilliantly trained dogs would lay down and begin to whine and whimper as if they were dying. And they couldn't figure out what was wrong until one man who had worked with dogs realized that they needed an exercise outside this arena, that they couldn't just live in this death trap. They, and so they would work them in the, in the rubble for a while, then they would take them out and they would play with them and they would throw balls to them. And the, the, the man finally made the statement was that even a dog needs hope. And what they had discovered was that when they searched for long hours and didn't find anything, something inside of them began to give up. And so they had to stimulate them in a way that would remind them they could, they, they would hide things so that they could find them and that restored their hope. So folks, if a dog needs hope, you and I certainly need to be able to maintain that in our lives because it is one of the most powerful influences to sustain us and keep us up when everything is against us. The whole world looks different when there is hope that is involved. I can't remember the name of the lady, but it's she's the reason why Pasadena is known as the strawberry uh, capital. That the, the strawberry fields... That, that all came about because of the hurricane of 1900 when De- Galveston was devastated. And she went down to see what she could do to help. And she saw all the devastation. And so she set in motion certain things to try to bring hope back to people. And she made this statement. There 
are no hopeless situations. Only those who have lost hope. What she saw was a devastation that had torn lives apart. But she said, you know what? In the midst of all of this, there's still something worth hanging on to. And so she drew people's eyes away from that to something else. And that's why hope is so powerfully important in all of our lives. And there is nothing that this world will do more than try to strip that away from you because it is such a power to sustain us, to keep us up. When hope is absent, the only thing that can come in its place is despair. So hope, my friend, is not ignoring the present. It's not turning a blind eye to reality. Hope is knowing that life is filled with facts. Hope is knowing that facts are cold and hard. Hope is knowing that life is uncertain, that life is not fair, that people will hurt you, that you will be disappointed and discouraged. But it is also true that in the midst of all of that, in the midst of all of the uncertainty, in the midst of all of the unfairness, in the midst of all of the hurt, that God is still good. And God still helps. And God still heals. And God still delivers. And God still makes a way. And that God is still working. Amen. We can choose which set of facts that we look at. You can look at facts that sadden you and discourage you. Or you can look at facts that gladden and encourage. And this is what I thought was interesting. The word hope comes from a Saxon root which signifies the opening of the eyes. The opening of the eyes. One word that has been associated with this Saxon root word is the word gape, speaking in reference to something that opens its mouth in expectation of food. It refers to the attitude of the soul or the spirit. That when things are not well, I have learned that there is something beyond. And so my life is sustained by what I choose to look at and what I choose to focus on. And there are some who look around and all they see is what is against them and what isn't right and what doesn't work and what's wrong and what's discouraging. But when Paul looked about, He saw a great army of forces that were laboring to help him. He saw God working in his behalf. He saw angels that came to his aid in his time of trouble. When Paul looked about, while others were seeing all of the Roman oppression, he was seeing all of the open doors that these prisons had afforded him. When Paul looked around, he saw the mercy of God. He saw the grace of God. He saw the goodness of God. He saw the promises of God. There were some people beside him that when they looked around, all they saw were the problems and the perplexities. But when Paul looked around, he saw the presence of God. He saw the promises of God's word. He saw the purpose of God being fulfilled. And he saw the hand of God at work in his life. You understand tonight why Paul said you have to rejoice in hope. 
You have to be glad in hope. You have to keep that hope alive because hope is one of the greatest sustaining forces in the world. And hope is made better by the things that you look to and the things that you focus on. Hope is based on the reality of redemption. And it is based on the greatness of our present resources and the reality of the future. You see, hope lifts us. Hope lifts us. When there is hope in our heart, it will pick you up above regret and anger and bitterness and hatefulness. And hope will turn you toward the dawn and not the dusk of life. And hope is interested more in tomorrow than it is in yesterday. And it is the spirit that lives in the future, by the future, and for the future. And Paul said, if you're going to make it through this troubled world, if you're going to live in difficult time, you better keep your hope alive. You better work on it every day to keep your eyes focused on the right thing and on the right one because that hope will sustain you. Amen. Hope is more than an attitude. It's an energy. Hope says that there's more to come. That what I see is not all there is to this situation. Hope implies the existence of a prospective good and the coming into possession of that good. It is not predicated on circumstances but by faith. And it finds its roots in the Holy Ghost. You know what I've learned in life? I've learned that when people begin to lose hope, they've also begun to lose the Holy Ghost. Because when the Holy Ghost is shed abroad in your heart, it brings hope with it. And it sustains hope. When there is a fresh move of the Holy Ghost in your life, it's amazing what it does to your perspective of life. It's amazing how it changes your outlook when you stand in a presence like we stood here Sunday night and the Spirit of God began to sweep over this place. I'm telling you, there was a change in perspective. And it came about Monday morning. It came about yesterday morning. It came about today. When I looked up and when I opened my eyes, I realized that God is still working. God is still in my life. God is still present to help me. Amen. I must keep hope alive. Amen. I need the Holy Ghost in my life. You see, hope is resting satisfied in the good things that God has promised it is believing that good is to be had in the midst of bad. And it is living in a promise. Amen. And folks, living in a promise is a whole lot better than living in a problem. <laughs> Woo! Hallelujah. Hope means that there's something ahead. Amen. Hope is not ignoring the problem, but knowing there's a promise that's bigger than the problem. Amen. Amen. The more hopeful you are, the more active you are. Amen. The more hopeful you are, the happier you are. Amen. Praise God. You got to keep hope alive, church. I said you got to keep hope alive. Rejoicing in hope. Patient in tribulation. 
The word tribulation means afflictions, distresses, troubles, pressures. Does that fit anybody? Things that are hurtful to us, things that are distracting, all of these fall under the category of tribulation. And Paul said when it comes to this, you just have to learn how to hold on. Amen. You just have to learn how to tie a knot and hold on. Amen. All of these things color life, troubles, pressures, problems, distresses, afflictions, sickness, loss. And the list goes on and on. All of those things color life. But the good part, part is that I get to choose the color. Amen. I get to choose the color. Enduring is all that is appointed to me. Hanging on. Not murmuring when things are not well, but praising God that I'm still here. Amen. Praising God that I'm still here. That the devil has given me his best shot. (laughs) And I'm still standing. Hallelujah. Ah, yeah. I know you folks don't ever have any problem with the devil. And he doesn't ever bother you. And you live on that paradise sipping Kool-Aid. But this old boy has had to fight him a few times. And he's kicked me in the gut. And he sucker punched me. He hit me while I wasn't looking. But you know what? I'm here tonight. I may have a few bruises and a few hurts. I, I may be limping a little bit, but I'm still here. Ah, uh, yes. Oh, yeah. It's going to take more than that. You're going to have to do better than that, devil. Because I made up my mind a long time ago. No matter what comes and no matter what goes, I am going to stay with him. Amen. I'm just going to hang on. I, I'm not going to murmur. I'm not going to complain. I'm not going to despair. I'm not even going to try to cut corners. Do you know that's what a lot of us get in trouble over trying to hurry up God's plan? Patience. (laughs) Patience. What did the scripture say? In your patience possess ye your what? Soul. Some of you need to go back and read your Bible. Amen. In patience. In your patience possess ye your souls. There's something about enduring, hanging on. You don't have to like it. He didn't even tell us to like it. He just said, hang on and keep hanging on. Keep praying, keep persevering, keep worshiping, keep doing all the things you've been doing, even though they may not seem to be making a difference. You just keep on doing what you've always done. Amen. Praise God. And he closed by saying that we must continue instant in prayer. I like the way Paul said that, continuing instant in prayer. It helps me understand something about life, that word continuing. That means that the greatest temptation that I am going to face in life and in prayer is the temptation to quit. Anybody felt like quitting lately? Anybody felt like giving up lately? Anybody felt like just, what's the use lately? 
That's the greatest temptation that all of us face in life. And Paul said that if you're going to live, if you want a tonic for life, continue praying. Never stop praying. Persevering in prayer. And the word instant means simply always ready. Bible doesn't tell us how often we are to pray. David prayed seven times a day. Daniel prayed three times a day. Jesus prayed often, it says. It doesn't matter how many times a day you pray, but you better pray every day. You better learn the value of prayer because prayer is the key that helps you. Actually, this one last thing is what helps make the two first possible. You can't really rejoice in hope if you don't keep praying. And you will never know patience unless you learn how to pray. Amen. Pray. We must pray. In order to discharge the duties of life. To make the most fervent and intense application to grace. Because without it, I'll never be able to stand against the evil. I'll never be able to even do good. I'll never be able to love the brethren. I'll never be able to have hope or bear up under trials and the ills of life if I don't learn how to pray. To do the other two, I must have the spirit of prayer in my life. And I must continue in prayer. Everybody say continue. Continue in prayer. Continue in prayer. Keep on praying. No one should be surprised when life collapses if they quit praying. Amen. Remember hearing about one of the well-known preachers of yesterday who in a moment of weakness fell. No one would ever have dreamed that this man would have fallen in sin. Had a great church, was from a great lineage of Pentecostal preachers. But he fell into an immoral life. And when he was sitting down with some of the brethren trying to explain what happened, this is what he said, and I've never forgotten. He said, I quit praying five years ago. I quit praying five years ago. Now, all of us have thought about quitting. All of us at some point or other have wondered if our prayers make any difference. Does it matter? I prayed so much and nothing happens. I prayed so long and nothing seemed to change. But I will tell you that you quit praying and bad things will happen. Amen. We all need to learn that lesson again. Continue in prayer. I remember Charles telling me about it years ago when he was in Wichita Falls working at one of the television stations. One of the last things they would do back then, they used to close down the station at at midnight. And one of the last things they would do before they would leave the building is they would get a color bar that would come in as a signal so they could set all of their equipment for the next day. On this particular night, a color bar showed up on the screen that had been sent out many years before. Many years. It had the stamp of time. And the only thing they could figure out was that somewhere out there in space, one of those satellites 
that, that sound wave which never dies. And that's what it was. A signal was a sound wave. It was sent out. Somehow found a satellite and ricocheted and came back to that station. Folks, let me tell you something else that never dies. Prayers never die. They never die. And you may have prayed them a long, long time ago, and they haven't come to pass, but somewhere they live because the Bible said, Revelation said, that he gathers those prayers up. He has a book. He has them all numbered and named. He knows every prayer that I've ever prayed. And who knows, but tonight or tomorrow may be the day that God chooses to allow that prayer to hit the right satellite and be reciprocated back to my life or somebody else's life. So the, the, the simple fact is I don't, need to never, I don't need to never, ever stop praying. Never. Because prayers never die. And as long as there's prayer, there's hope. Amen. If you don't believe that, Go talk to a man by the name of Teddy. The only thing Teddy had going for him was a praying mother. Only thing he had going for him was a praying mother. At a young age, he had found the Lord, and then he allowed his own youthful lust and desires to pull him away and take him into a lifestyle that would lead him down a long, rocky road. He should have been burned up in Vegas working on an oil derrick. God spared him. He should have died several times by motorcycle accidents. One night, in a drunken stupor, he walked out into the Gulf of Mexico and should have drowned. But something kept holding on to him. Something kept pulling him back. Something kept bringing him around. What was it? It was a praying mother. And it was prayers that a mother had prayed over and over and over. Amen. And after 40 long years of wondering, my brother, some of you were here that Sunday when he came and this was under construction. And it was raw plywood, not even padded like this and he knelt down and God gloriously refilled him with the Holy Ghost the only reason that happened is because somebody kept praying amen somebody kept praying I wonder how many more teddies there are out there I wonder how many more wayward children there are out there that the only thing they have going for them tonight is that you keep praying. Don't ever quit praying. Don't ever quit praying. Even when it doesn't look good, keep praying. And when things are not going well, keep praying. Amen. Keep praying. And if you'll do those three things, you're going to find a boost. You're going to find something that refreshes you. An energizer that that comes to your life. Rejoicing in hope. Amen. I'm going to 
I'm going to rejoice in hope and I'm going to be patient in tribulation. I'm just going to grit my teeth at times and bear it. But I'm never going to stop praying. Amen. I'm going to continue praying. Because somewhere, someplace, sometime, God, God's going to answer all of those prayers. Amen. Let's stand together.